And I kind of figure I learned very quickly in the corporate world that you're going to work your butt off for somebody. And if you want to be good at something, you're going to be getting up early and you're going to be working weekends. You're going to be staying late. So you might as well do something that you really want to do. And I decided to work my butt off for myself and um, basically went back to riding horses. Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing fans. And as usual, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Cowboy Magic. Thank you so much, Cowboy Magic. Karen, what do we have this week? This week, we have the Cowboy Magic Concentrated Rosewater Conditioner. It is a new innovation in the equine market. As it is massaged in, the formula will dissolve mineral and chemical buildup deposited by water. After rinsing, the hair will be left in an ultra-clean, almost virgin state. That's awesome stuff, Karen. This stuff is amazing. You can They're even using it on people, Karen. Yes, they are. Yes. So it's amazing stuff. Wonderful. Get it. it long, it's long-lasting. It's fantastic stuff. So thank you so much, Cowboy Magic. We sure do appreciate it. You had the best products. and uh, We just, love them. We're just so so happy to be on your squad. So thanks a lot, Cowboy Magic. What did you get this time from our good friends at Fairfax in Favor? I got the Monaco wedges in the navy blue suede and also the British equestrian tassels. Yep. Yeah, very cool. So uh, somebody did a really good job of picking this stuff out for <laughs> I you. I think so. Uh What's really cool is the wedges have like an embossed Fairfax and Favor on the toe of the shoe, on top of the shoe, and then they have... The little tassel on the back. Very little, mini little Fairfax and Favor tassel on the back, which makes it a very, very cute detail. How comfortable are they, Karen? You wear so them? comfortable. Really? Because I know uh, you are funny with your shoes. I know, I am. And I always worry about getting your shoes, but um, especially cute shoes, because for some reason they seem to hurt the most, but... I, I love them. They're perfect. They love them? Perfect. Super, super. The tassels, they're British equestrian. Mm-hmm. Red. And blue. And blue. So like blue on one side, red on the other. So you got a cool little contrast on the boots. So Can't wait to put them on my Regina boots. Yeah. One bit. Yeah. So fantastic. So listen, go to fairfaxandfavor.com. Triple Crown Feed. Oh, man. yeah. Triple Crown. Big fans of Triple Crown Feed. They have tons of, of great products out there, mm-hmm. premium stuff. Karen, what do you got to say over there? So Triple Crown has formulas that are tailored to your horse's unique needs and help support immunity and gut health. Find your local Triple Crown feed dealer by going to triplecrownfeed.com. Triplecrownfeed.com. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. It Triplecrownfeed.com. They have a great feed locator. They have yes. a great feed com- comparison tool on their website i encourage everyone to get over there check out triple crown feeds website check out the different products check out what makes them so special and give them a shot right Karen? oh yeah support the people to support the show trish got's got us covered and she can cover you trish is on with us to talk about equine mortality and medical coverages which there's a lot of changes trish so tell us what's going on in the industry right now and how can you help people yeah there's a lot of changes going on the equine mortality medical coverage right now and i just wanted to put the word out there that we don't have to be afraid changes are coming but um, i can certainly take care of you know whatever you know whatever questions concerns you know our, our ventures have 
Um, right now, the biggest one is Great American is not offering any medical coverage to any renewals or new business. But, and the thing is with our vendors, they're the, one of the top three rated horses for, um, you know, for mortality. So it's a very unique breed of animal, very unique training. So we need to make sure that your policy is covered. Um, I have access to some of the top rated carriers right now. They are all offering full mortality, medical, surgical, any coverage is needed for our vendors. Don't worry about it. Just give me a call. I'll be more than happy to walk through your current policy and make sure that your renewal is covering your horse. Not a problem. Just give me a call. I'm always available. 484-319-8923. The Rain Turtle by Turtleneck, the best rain sheet on the market, Karen. The best. It comes in a one, two, and a three piece with a three-year waterproof warranty. And it has a full antibacterial lining. Yeah, fantastic. Of course, they have the stretch panels. So Karen, if people want to learn more, learn about the rain turtle, the sizing, how to measure your horse up for sizing, how do people learn more and purchase the rain turtle by Turtleneck? Just go to turtleneck.biz. I'm Robbie. And I'm Karen, and we are your hosts of the Major League Eventing Podcast. And this week, we have a very special guest. Uh, she's a busy lady. Very. Uh, very busy lady. Uh, four-star eventer. She's a USDF silver and gold medalist, and also a disc dog enthusiast, which sounds really cool. Welcome to the show, Laura Vandervliet. Hi, <laughs> I gotta I gotta correct one thing real quick oh, no. because okay. I'm still working on the gold medal okay. um, for the dressage. We've got a couple scores done, and we are hopefully close. And um, hopefully by the end of the summer, I'll be able to say that it's been a lifelong dream of mine to get there and train a horse to that. So um, I, I am confident that it's going to come but that's still a work in progress oh sorry about that but okay well you know what it's it's out in the universe and you're going to get it now so <laughs> consider it done <laughs> exactly motivation <laughs> uh, so laura um we love to know where are you coming to us from i am living full-time now in aiken south carolina very nice what's the weather like right now Today, we had a pretty warm day, 75, blue skies. Um, Aiken's very, very nice here going into the spring. Um, we didn't have too bad of a winter other than Christmas this year was really cold. But Aiken's quite nice weather. If you put 365 days of the year on a calendar, you get a lot of really nice days here. So great for training horses. <laughs> that, that's great. You know, we've gone... our our. My other son, Joe, he used to go to Aiken um, for the past couple of years. Um, this year, he's in Wellington. So, oh, nice. but every time we would go down to Aiken, it was cold. It it's was cold. freezing. <laughs> it was like, where's all the warm weather? You know, but yeah. but I did get to see him uh, last weekend um, in Wellington, and it was like uh, 85, 86 every single day. So, yeah, I think I think he's hooked on Wellington, and I think I am too. <laughs> Stay down there. People come to Aiken in the wintertime for that six weeks. And I will say, if I were coming from the north down, using my experience over the course of the last 40 years, that 
if I was going to go someplace just for the winter, I would definitely go further south than Aiken. But now that I live here year round, um, I don't. I don't think I would rather be any place else right now yeah. than here. So yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, Aiken's a nice town. I do like it there. I really do. Okay, so Laura, can you take us back and tell us how you got your start in riding and then into eventing? It's kind of a long story because it goes back quite a ways, but um, I suppose I got started riding when my parents moved out of Patterson, New Jersey to upstate New York because they wanted to raise their kids in the country. And my dad brought home a pony. I Rumor has it was in the back of his Suburban Um and I can't remember how old I was because I don't really remember the first pony because I was that young. But um, from that point on, um, I was pretty hooked. My parents did not know anything about horses. They kind of learned through us. And we grew up riding ponies, um, 4-H. Um, I did a little bit of pony club, not a lot. That was actually kind of out of our budget, even at the time. And then I actually got a lot into that competitive endurance riding when I was in high school. And um, and actually, if um, I continue the story from there, I did a bit of um, competitions up in GMHA in Vermont, like the Vermont 100 um, and a couple of the races they had. And I remember when I was there, going and walking around and seeing all the cross country stuff because that would have been in the eighties <laughs> and the teams did a lot of their training and stuff there. And so that was my first really seeing cross country stuff. And I remember thinking, I feel like this is something I need to do someday, but it was quite a few years later before I really got back there. Um, I graduated high school and made a very clear decision to not do horses professionally. There was no doubt in my mind that that was not going to be my livelihood. Not that I wouldn't get back to riding, but I was not going to do it professionally. And I invested quite a lot of money in my college education. I have a business degree from Cornell University and was very, very motivated and um focused on going into the corporate world, pretty much. Um, I guess there is a pretty funny story with that because when I did finally graduate and go into the corporate world, and I don't know, you know, you go to college and when you get out and you land that first real job, you pretty much think you're going to save the world because you know everything. You're going to take your education and use it. And I got a good job um, out in, it was actually in San Diego at the time, in a corporate office of a large um, wholesale grocery chain. And my education was in a lot of human resource management, human relations training. So I was going to work with all the managers and employees of the stores. And that was kind of, you know, my job training programs and that type of thing, training people before I trained horses. And about I would say three months, maybe six months into the job, I was called into a big corporate business meeting with all the big wigs and me and learned that we were actually closing down all the stores. Oh, no. Oh, so 
Yes, exactly. So for the next year, my job became putting together teams that were going to walk out. Nobody was supposed to know until the day it happened. Walk out, lock the doors, change the codes, do final inventory and deposits. And my main job was to make sure all protocol was followed and that all the employees were notified properly of, um, you know, they needed, you know, that they had their final paychecks with all their um you know, uh, severance pay and everything because there was no notice um, and what their eligibility was for, you know, benefits and stuff or not. And it was actually quite awful. (laughs) And in the end, this is a total true story. Um, I was told from the beginning that in the end, I wouldn't have a job either, right? Because they're closing everything down. But if I stayed to help do this because they needed my position to do it, that I would get a large severance package at the end of the year. And I took my large severance package and went back to riding horses. <laughs> and I kind of figure I learned very quickly in the corporate world that you're going to work your butt off for somebody. And if you want to be good at something, you're going to be getting up early. You're going to be working weekends. You're going to be staying late. So you might as well do something that you really want to do. And I decided to work my butt off for myself. And um, basically went back to riding horses. And pretty much since then, it's been, you know, a a bit of a climb up and down and around the country and stuff. But I've pretty much. And one thing I'm very proud of is people always said that you can't make a living riding horses. But I promise I paid off every last dollar of my student loans. And there were plenty riding horses. So you can make a living riding horses. Of course, there's a lot of people doing it. So yeah, good for you though. Uh, so, okay. So you were in California and then I did, and you came back East. Oh my God. Yeah. If you want to follow my, um, that would take the rest of the hour to be honest, (laughs) but I grew up in upstate New York. Um, and that's where then I ended up at Cornell. Um, I was exchange student to Sweden for a year and traveled through Europe a bit. I came back um, after I graduated college. Um, I ended up out in San Diego um, and worked out there. And from there, um, I did a short stint in Montana. And actually in Montana, I um, started, that's where I really kind of got back to riding. I mean, who would guess out there, but um, Area 7. And um, I connected with a woman, Jill Hassler, who was also out there. And I started taking dressage lessons with her. And she, I would say, was very influential in changing the direction of my life because she called one day and asked if I wanted to come back and work at Hilltop Farm with her and Scott Hassler. Um, And that would have been the early 90s. And I knew at that point, if I really wanted to get on with my riding career, I needed to get back east. So I moved back there and I worked um, for a couple of years um, with Scott at Hilltop Farm. I've never been to their facility here. Yeah, but I've heard that's great. Yeah, I heard it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful facility. And Scott and Suzanne and his mother were the ones that basically developed it initially. Um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure who's... um, head trainer and, and running it now, but, um, I'm sure it's still a great facility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just 
Just south of Fair Hill, right there. Actually, what is it? Um, Chesapeake Calora. City? Is it Calora? Calora, Maryland is where Hilltop Farm is. Okay. Um, got, they did also, then they moved and were at a place in Chesapeake City River, mm-hmm. River Edge. Yes. So that's how I ended up back east. And from there, I um, ended up getting hooked up with Philip Dutton. And because I knew that I was back east, I had started to event a little bit on the West Coast. And when I got back east, um, I enjoyed very much the time at um, the dressage, predominantly dressage barn. Um, And I think it has actually directed my career a lot because I'm ending up back into that um, some. But I always really wanted to get back to the eventing. And it was a farrier who's quite at the time, well-known Dave Kumpf was chewing horses for Hilltop Farm. And he knew I wanted to get into eventing. And at the time he, there was, he said there was this Australian guy that was looking for some help. And um, he's the one that made the connection with Philip. And I don't know, I kind of joke about it. I was probably one of his first working students here in the U.S. because that would have been in 95. Um, And um, I went up there and I, tell this a lot of times too, when I went up there and met with him for the first time, um, he was rather recent into the U.S. at that point. I think he maybe been here for a, a year or maybe a couple, I'm not sure. But I remember meeting with him and basically I gave him this long spiel that I wanted to come here and I wanted to event and I wanted to do, you know, back then it was the long format, um, uh, CCI One Star. And then you know, I figured maybe three, four months and do that and then go back to the corporate world. Like I still wasn't convinced that this was going to be my career. And I remember Philip very clearly stating to me that this really wasn't something, unfortunately, that you get out of your system in three or four months. And I always think how right he was. (laughs) (laughs) But, and so that's where I landed back with Philip to get into and that Unionville area and, and eventing basically. Yeah. And how long were you with Philip? I would say definitely, probably, I mean, on and off pretty full time, I would say four, five, six, seven years, maybe. Um, I worked with him for quite a while and and then managed his barn um, quite a bit. And then eventually I actually started to rent um, a facility near there and still would go over and work for him quite a bit. And then actually, um, a few years later, um, ended up renting a barn, a top barn at his place, actually the one that had burned down when Boyd had it. Uh, I was renting there before Boyd was, um, and still riding and training with Philip. I mean, I trained with him for, you know, quite a few years after that, even when I wasn't still working for him, but, um, but worked for him all the way through, like his, all his initial, like the 96 Olympic games and, um, Sydney and, um, you know, was very involved in that program. I was always the one that stayed at home, Uh you know, I ran the facilities, ran the Mm -hmm. barns. And, um, I remember that 96 Olympics, especially since a lot of the Australian riders had come over and were basing over here to get ready. And my family had been buying tickets because everybody wanted to go down to the Atlanta Olympics. It was a real big deal. And I really thought we, you know, everybody was going to go. And we had this big send off party to send the 
you know, teams down there. And I felt like everybody in the United States was going to the Atlanta Olympics, except for me. Oh. <laughs> because in the end, I would have thought that I wasn't going because I was working for somebody that was riding in it. So even that was still pretty amazing. And um, um, with that, so it was definitely, um, you know, it definitely shaped again, a lot of my, you know, business background with um, with the horses and the riding and, um, you know, where I would go eventually with it. So how did, how did you get, uh, get down to Aiken? Um, I mean, that started that, that year in 1995 was the first year I came down with Philip. Um, and we came down here that winter and I've been pretty much coming down for the winters since then. Um, a lot of times staying a little bit longer, coming a little bit earlier, and then even when I started running, you know, my own business, I still would come down for the winters. Um, at some point, um, you know, again, my career has kind of gone over around a, a bit and back again. But I, um, at one point, I, um, after having, you know, been running a business quite a bit in um, Unionville for years, um, I had decided to maybe take more of a job kind of situation than run my own business. And I ended up down in Louisiana at Sterling Silver Stables um, with Jennifer Mosing, who um, Will Faudray rides all of her horses. And it was through his connection because he worked with Philip um, initially. And I went down there for a bit to um, have kind of more of a job kind of life where I didn't have to do all the paperwork and everything myself. And when um, everybody said, well, you can't work, you can't, you know, ride horses professionally in Aiken year round. They said it's too hot in the summertime and there's not enough business to keep it going. And after working in Louisiana for a few years, the too hot problem wasn't a problem anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I've, been successful in, you know, making a business anywhere. You can, you know, make a, a good business anywhere where you go. And that gave me confidence when I left there that I was going to come back to Aiken and, and be here full time. So the the endurance, what was the longest um, endurance race that you've done? Um, I, it, I had a hundred miles okay. um, that we, that I did those. And we did a lot of, there's the endurance, they, that was a long time ago and it was just really kind of gaining and, and, you know, even notoriety of it. I did a lot of, um, they would call them competitive trail rides too, where you would do a hundred miles, but they were over like three days. You would do like 40 miles, 40 miles and 20 miles. Um, and all of like the New York had a New York 100, um, the old dominion, um, and the Vermont 100, um, and I was all, I was a junior rider all of that time that I was doing all of those, but that shaped me into, I mean, I always enjoyed the, um, the conditioning and the knowing your horse and, you know, we had to do the jog ups and the, you know, managing your horse through the competition and the vet checks and, um, the pit crew and everything that we had. And so, I think that was always something I really wanted to be a part of. And at the time when you went to the eventing, it was very similar. And I just wanted to kind of combine that with the jumping, which was the eventing. And back then we did, you know, the long format. So you had your pit crew and you, you know, you had to know your, 
PRs and temperatures on your horses and management of all of that in the, you know, just the hours you spent conditioning your horses and getting them ready for those competitions. Um, I've always enjoyed that. Yeah, I bet. I know um, Fair Hill's actually getting ready for theirs. I think it's the beginning of April, I think. Yeah, it's usually in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, I saw something where I don't know if it's a new version of endurance or if it's yeah. been around and I never heard of it, but one person's on the ground running while oh, another wow. person's riding and then you rotate. Like, oh, wow. I, I, yeah. I, I have to look at it. Like I, I, I have never done that, but I've kind of seen different things and versions of that kind of stuff. And um, I mean, Fair Hills always run their 5K and stuff like that, too. So it only makes sense that they would like combine the two and come up yeah. with something. Right. <laughs> I, I think I'd rather be the person on the horse than, <laughs> than the runner, especially well, if they're Fair like, Hill. <laughs> I think like somewhere over in the UK, they actually have like a horse versus man competition where it's like a trail endurance race, but then it's also people running on foot against each other. Yeah. I think that the horses won every year, but yeah. (laughs) I had a kid that worked for me for a while and he used to always, I don't know if he saw that stuff or whatever, but he, he would always kind of challenge or bet because he kind of actually thought if because of the buildup and the speed and the slowdown and all that, he always wanted to challenge that because he always thought that the, the human could win that. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, that's well, awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, you know, Laura, obviously you've been everywhere, kind of done everything. Um, can you take us kind of through what your current business is like? You know, are you teaching? Are you riding, training? Like, what are you, what are you up to right now? I, my business throughout my life has been very predominantly training all the way from when I was a kid, you know, up through, um, I've taught a lot. I enjoy teaching and at different times I've taught more like when I worked at Hilltop Farm or when I worked for Philip, um, when I worked in Louisiana, um, it was a lot of teaching. Um, I enjoy um, teaching and, um, you know, probably we'll end up doing more of it at different times. But for whatever reason, I um, most of my business always has been um, some type of training and riding, developing horses. Um, it does involve sales. I try really hard to stay away from the sales barn mentality because I prefer to develop the horses. And I think, you know, um, you know, good horses trained well sell easily. And most of my sales come from people, you know, I think people know that and people are looking for something specific. They will usually call or contact me. And if I have something I think suitable, a lot of times it just works out. And I love making sure the right horses end up in the right situations. I spent years breaking racehorses, yearling racehorses um, for several different trainers. Um, and that was very, very big part of my um, early career. So fast forward to where I've been and stuff. And I've gotten, you know, I've been fortunate, you know, I was talking about being with at Phillips Barn. And I also worked for probably the last 10, 12 years with LNN Equestrian um, with my partner. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be kind of part of two pretty solid international Olympic um, kinds of training programs. And I would say the last, you know, 10 years or so, it was very focused on LNN equestrian and, you know, and what we were doing with that. 
So that's where when I was talking about kind of the rebranding and you come back and you try to figure out where and what you're going to really do with your business now. And I just go back to, you go back to what you do well. And, you know, I always tell, you know, kids all come in and want to know about how do you get into the horse business and stuff. And it's just business. It's, it's, you know, it's economics. You have to have a commodity that people are willing to pay for and you develop that. And, um, that's how you stay in business. <laughs> and so I still think that I produce good horses and I've gotten kind of right back into that. I feel like a lot of times I keep trying, yeah, all the way from the beginning when I said I'm not going to do horses for a living, I keep trying to get out of, but life keeps putting me back into it and back into it. So I have still gotten, um, I enjoy taking young horses and starting them for people. I just did recently uh, several three-year-olds and they come for, you know, several months or whatever and and get ready to go back to the owners. Um, A lot of times people will send horses that they have decided they don't um, want anymore for whatever reason. I'll work with them um, to get sold. I've a lot of times I kind of I I I have a hashtag that I use about um you know we can make your horse work for you because there's a lot of times we would notoriously get horses that are at wit's end people are like we can't ride this horse anymore we need to get rid of it and all they want to do is sell the horse and it comes back and we work with it for a bit or I'll work with it for a bit and I could give many many examples where then people you know if I say to them all you want me to do is sell this horse and you're going to buy another one I think you should come try your horse again and in the end they've gone home and worked out great for the original owners <laughs> so you know I that's really what I you know like to do and I just this last couple of years we've bred a couple uh, mares and so maybe I'll be training them still <laughs> in a couple of years, the foals. Um, now they're, I guess, weanlings going on yearlings. Um, so I'm kind of branching to that. I am trying to find a little bit of diversity where I definitely am not going to be riding 12 horses a day ever again. <laughs> um, and, you know, I probably have my business, you know, revolves, goes back to around 10 or 12 horses you know, in training and I probably do maybe six a day. Um, I'll usually have somebody that comes in and can help ride a couple, um, a couple of good guys that work for me at the barn that keep the barn going and keep, you know, the horses, take care of good the horses. That's, you know, it, you kind of fall right back to that. And, you know, maybe I'm a little pickier on what horses that I take so that, you know, eventually age does come a factor in that. <laughs> but um, I, I enjoy you know, training the horses. So that's mostly what I do. I do teach. I I just, because I'm not in a situation where I'm doing a substantial amount of it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't become a main focus at that time because you have to have a large group of students to economically be able to survive off of lessons. So I find it a little bit, um, you know, easier to focus on the training and then subsequent sales a bit. And then that's where I was talking about on the farm, utilizing the extra space for Airbnb and some rental stuff um, to kind of help support the farm. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, yeah especially in Aiken. Because a lot of people yeah. come down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I have everything. I have everything in my barn from um, almost yearlings to my two long-term, um, I would say, heart, 
horse favorites in the barn at the moment, um, Mighty Mangaroo, who's 22 years old, and he's the one I'm working on, the Grumpy. He was a four-star um, level event horse um, initially. And Magnum's Martini, who um, we've had for quite a few years, and um, Nelson competed at the World Games. And he's 19 now and still going strong. And I'll be, I've competed him before a bit and I'll be back competing him. And maybe he's my next Grumpy dressage prospect and he's not going to jump anymore, but the horses will stay in the barn, you know, with me, but um, they're still both going strong. So I've got everything from nine months to 22 years. (laughs) Now, do you um, have any like horses like for syndicate or anything like that going on? I have a couple of younger ones. I do. I, my, I always have been hugely supportive of the off the track thoroughbreds. Um, I having a training business, I've trained whatever comes and you get a lot of um, warm bloods, Irish horses and stuff doing that. But my pick for my rides are always been thoroughbreds. And so I have two um, really cool ones um, right now. Um, Sweet one is, um, we call her Flo. She's a little uh, chestnut mare that's getting ready to go up to intermediate now. And um, another one that from Full Gallop Farm down here in Aiken, um, Papa Mac, who has been doing um, preliminary level. And I just had somebody, again, you know, like long, long-term clients that just have been with me forever um, come into part ownership with him. And that's usually what I've done. Like my, you know, again, my business background comes in and my business model always is if you have a horse in the barn and you want to keep it, it has to get syndicated. It has to be supported because you can't, no business can afford that. So if they're going to stay in the barn and it's something I want to keep, I usually will work out some type of a syndicate agreement or arrangement with them. And then the Martini and the the Magnus Martini and the Mighty Mangaroo actually have been part of a syndicate for years. The Mighty Mangaroo horse was purchased from Philip Dutton um, back in, I want to say 2008 maybe is when I got him. And it was a very strong syndicate group. That was the first time I had a group of people and I had a budget to actually go buy a horse. And um, they have stuck with me and they, the Martini horse um, came into that syndicate group at some point. And those owners, you know, they are sticking with supporting the horses. These horses, you know, they need to be supported into their retirement. You know, like everybody wants to be a part of the big syndicates when they're, you know, in their heyday and and everything. But um, I've been trying to do a little promotion of that with them, you know, and I do stuff like try and make the annual maintenance stuff tax deductible and, and you know, not long-term commitments for the people so that I can just kind of keep supporting the horses as they go into their, um, you know, retirement. Yeah, you don't really hear too much about kind of the post right, you know, post career syndication and stuff like that, but that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a big thing. And it's something that I, um, I actually would like to use these horses to promote a little bit. So I'm kind of figuring out how that really works and what people, um, you know, without going into the, the sad commercials, like the, you know, the, the, um, homeless animal commercials and stuff (laughs) (laughs) without getting into that, just, but I, I think, you know, and, and done a lot of syndicate work um, and every syndicate is so individualized and, you know, and you have to be really flexible with what works for that group of people. 
But um, I think one thing that I always think with the syndicates that, you know, I don't know if people find this interesting, but, you know, so many people think they're going to go into a syndicate with a horse and they think, oh, we've got 10 shares and it, they don't think it's successful if, unless they've got 10 shares sold. And I actually think in my experience of watching and being part of, I look at my syndicates more as like, you know, growing and evolving entities that, you know, rarely is all 10 shares solidly sold. You know, you're supporting the horse a lot and some people will come in and some will want to leave and you get others in. So, you know, I kind of tried to manage them that way a little bit so that you keep new and fresh people in all the time. And the ones, you know, that are in and been in a long time don't feel obligated um, and have, you know, a chance to get out. And sometimes they'll come back in when their financial situation changes. That's kind of, you know, how I look at managing the syndicates. And I think that I've got a lot of older horses that have, you know, been able to get leased out in, you know, their retirement and have gone on to good retirement homes. And that might always be the goal a bit, but, you know, these horses really deserve solid and good care and their happy homes, you know, as they go into the retirement of that. And I think it's important for people to understand when they're, you know, going into this kind of ownership that there is a long-term responsibility to it as well. Now, and also before, before the interview, you, you mentioned um, starting a membership group or an experience syndicate. Um, do you want to talk about that? Um, yeah, I am kind of excited to see how it goes. And I'm excited to get back into working with this kind of, you know, membership group. And I, I think a lot of other people have done similar types of things, you know, where you get a group together that's going to get into helping buy a horse or helping to support, you know, a syndicate and stuff like that. And um, some people that are listening or not, I don't know. I mean, we ran a really fun membership group called the Muggle Club um, when we had Ellen and Equestrian and, um, my partner Nelson was riding a horse by name of Muggle. And we had a lot of fun with that group. And it was just, you know, uh, you could join for $100 a year. And um, it was a face, you know, private Facebook group. Um, and we cloned it a little bit because I guess the Muggles were the people without the special powers, the non-wizards. And so we kind of did it the um, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. And, you know, they were able to come apart and really follow us on what we were doing. And I enjoyed doing that so much that I was kind of looking for another way to kind of, you know, start that again. And I am going to basically do it under, you know, LVE, Laura Vanderbilt Equestrian. Um, and we kind of like call it experience syndicate or membership group where there'll be different levels that you can join at and be part of, you know, a, a private Facebook group where you will get up to date and current, you know, posts on what's going on. And then YouTube um, channel where you can, you know, be a part of what's going on at the farm, the training process. And we kind of want to make it a little bit life process too, you know, and um, hopefully maybe there's a lot of people that are going to kind of join this group that can be inspired that, you know, there's, where do you go in this next stage of your journey at this point? And um, the whole point of the membership group is that you can join and have the experience without the commitment or expense of owning a horse. So it's an experience group. You can come and join and be part of the experience. And um, we're going to offer at some of the levels where you can actually pick an event that you want to come to and be a part of the VIP experience with that horse at that event. Um, but you don't have what I was just talking about, the long-term commitment of, 
actually owning a horse. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And I'm hoping that it'll be fun for the people that join it too, to kind of, you know, inspire them a little bit too. And, you know, get people back to really enjoying what the sport is and what you're doing with the horses and why you're doing it. Because a lot of, you know, we all know that that happens, you know, you start off loving the idea and the, and the you know, passion for the sport and the animals. And then all of a sudden, some point you get into it just becomes discipline that's keeping you going. And, you know, every day you're getting up because you have to and what you're focused on, you know, competition wise and um, I think that everybody has to have some point in their life where, why are you really doing this? And I'm definitely at that point in my life where I just am doing it because it's what I love to do. And it inspires me when I can't think of what else to do. And you start riding your horses, that all starts to come to you a little bit. So that's what we're kind of hoping to do with that group. Yeah, that's, I, I like that idea. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, sounds I fun. really like that idea. I think that's a great idea. Well, we'll keep keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then also you do disc with your dogs? Like, I mean, I don't know if I'm saying it right. You know, like they're disc dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dogs. I have two border collies and anyone that knows me knows them. It was something I, I mean, I've always had the dogs, but I, it was something a few years back I started to get into a little bit. It's a great group of people. It's a lot of fun. The dogs are amazing, um, how competitive and everything they are. And it's again, part of, you know, you get so focused on what you're doing with the horses. And I just think it's really, really important to have, there's so much other life out there besides the horses. Not that we don't all love the horses and we don't, you know, thrive on, you know, our livelihoods and business and everything with them. But I just think it's very, very important to have other stuff in your life and what's going on. And my dogs have helped me. I mean, besides the horses too, I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, that I've gone through in life and you get back through it. And I just think it, it, it cracks me up with the dogs. Like no matter, you can be just ready to give up on anything and one will show up with the Frisbee in its mouth. Like, just forget it. Let's play Frisbee. And Okay. So I've actually gotten it with a great group of people and my dogs are actually pretty good. Um, they're quite handicapped by me because my Frisbee throwing skills are yet to be really professionally developed, but they have both qualified for, I play with an organization called Skyhounds and the last two years I've gone to the world finals. They've qualified and gone to the world finals, which is actually in Chattanooga, Tennessee in October. So I end up balancing my... It, because I obviously, I don't like to do stuff unless I do it all out. And I find it very, you know, now I'm like balancing my competition schedule and picking and choosing what ones, you know, what I'm doing with my horse schedule. I'm like, well, I got to fit the dogs in, you know, that's a dog date. That's a dog date. And um, so far they've actually, you know, coordinated pretty good and the dogs go with me to all the shows. So, you know, you can, there is, it's a much more affordable sport. And, um, you know, you can go do a disc dogathon for like $35 a day and play like five games. And sometimes they get pizza and you get a free Frisbee at the end of the day. And, um, and then, you know, what, what I think that always like kind of humors me is when I'm waiting to the last deadline to whether to enter or not. And they're like, you know, you got to enter. You're going to have to pay the late fee of like five bucks or something. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I can afford that. And then, and I always, always like to compare it to, it's like, you know, when you want to go to, you know, you're going to, whether it's a dressage show or an event, you got to do dressage and, you know, Saturday morning you have a 
you know, 8.05 dressage time. So you start backing that up, you know, 8.05, you got to be on by 7.15 or whatever. So you got to be at the show at 6.30. So you got to leave the farm at, you know, 5.45. So you got to be there at 5. And, you know, you keep backing it up. I mean, you're getting up at 3 in the morning to prepare an 8.05 ride. Where with the dogs, it's like, you know, maybe I have an hour drive or a couple hours drive. So say I have to be there at 9 or 9.30. I need to leave the house at 7.00. I mean, I can literally get up at 6.30, throw the dogs outside, feed them, get dressed. And when you walk out the door and you're like, you're ready to go, they're like, oh, yeah, and they're in the car and you're on your way. And it's you can show up five minutes before your time to go and let the dog goes to the bathroom and you go out there and it's, you know, they play. They're, they're pretty competitive. So it's it's a, um, a very fun, very competitive sport, but it's very... Um, you know, there's a lot of adrenaline, but it's not the the emotional, scary adrenaline that I think you get from, you know, cross-country day yeah. <laughs> at, um, at the event. So I enjoy it a lot. I, I, it's something I hope to keep doing. So There is no money in that whatsoever. <laughs> Pure entertainment. <laughs> Sounds like fun, though. I know, it does. It's a lot of fun. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, Laura, we are going to play quick fire questions. <laughs> and quick fire questions is brought to you by Turtleneck. Keep your horse dry with the rain turtle by going to turtleneck.biz. So, five questions. Uh, you don't have to be quick, but we will grade you at the end. So, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Favorite rider growing up? Karen O'Connor. Oh, yeah. Good one. Very good one. Um, If eventing was not an option, what other riding discipline would you want to do? Dressage. I was thinking she was going to say dressage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, Favorite event to compete at? I'm not being quick because there's so many that I just love actually all of them, but I guess I'd have to say Fair Hill. Yeah, I'd say that's our favorite. Yeah, too. We're, we're probably a little partial. That <laughs> a one. Little, little partial too. <laughs> uh, do you have any good luck rituals or superstitions before you leave the start box? Pray. <laughs> that's a good one. No. Uh, yeah, I sing. I pray. I pray to. Um, you know, like I always feel like I don't want to be greedy because I don't want to pray to win. But you know, like in the back of your mind, you're like. Please, God, this time be the time I win. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. Uh, <laughs> all right. So final question. If you can ride any horse, past, present, or fiction, who would it be? Um, I had a really great, great horse when I was very first starting. His name was Tabor. He was off the track thoroughbred. And he was one of those horses that you had before you knew anything. And he tragically ended up just when I was about ready to get to advanced level, um, had an accident in the stall and had to be euthanized. And I just probably think a lot of times now, oh, just wish I had that horse back knowing what I know now. And you can't go back, but I know that nobody would know who the horse, the people that knew the horse would know him, but I feel like I just kind of a lot of times think about him for some reason and think what a cool horse he was. And I wish that I had not just more time with him, but I wish I had educated time with him. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that's I think that's a good answer. Yeah, that's a very good one. Yeah, I like that. Well, 
A plus plus. Very yeah, good. Very good. Crowd's yeah. oh, going wild. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely think you, know, especially with you give out everybody an A plus plus. <laughs> Not everybody. Not everyone. Not I, everybody. <laughs> we've given A minuses, <laughs> gold <Yeah>. stars. <laughs> changes. It changes. Up. It changes. But now, I mean, I liked your answer about you know, kind of going back to the horse that you wish that you actually knew more on, so that you can spend more educated time. I feel like everyone's probably had that horse kind yeah. of growing up where, you know, you it's too good of a horse at the time that you didn't really know what you had. And then kind of as things here, you're like, oh man, like could have really done something, done more, yeah. gone farther. Exactly. People say to me a lot of times, people always say, oh, who's your heart horse, you know, or what's your heart horse? And, you know, I've ridden so many horses over the course of my career because it was such a trade. Like even when I was a kid, we had you know, it was all multiple ponies, multiple this. I spent a lot of time galloping racehorses. Um, I've had a lot of really, really cool horses. And every one of them's taught me so much in whatever part or facet. So I really have a hard time picking one. But I also always say maybe I haven't met that horse yet. So it'd still be out there. <laughs> of course. There you go. Now, uh, Laura, obviously, you know, like we said before, you've kind of done everything, been everywhere. Do you have any advice for you know, the young rider looking to make it in this sport? Well, I think I touched on that a little bit when I said, you know, you. the bottom line is that you've got to have a commodity that people want. So find what that is. And the one thing that I noticed, okay, this isn't necessarily advice, but I do get, I mean, we've got tons, you know, the working students that all come and think, oh, how are we going to do this? And I can remember and think back that all of these, you know, by the time kids are 20 or, or whatever and coming up with stuff, I'm going to be honest, if they haven't figured out how they're going to make a living in the sport at that point, they're probably not going to. Because if you watch it, most of them that come through there, whether it's already teaching the 4-H kids, whether it's, you know, grooming and braiding and doing stuff like that, whether it's breaking young horses. I mean, that's basically what I did. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, people sending me, you know, their, you know, backyard whatever's for, you know, I'm pretty sure I did it $250 a month or something. I just think of, you know, all the people that, you know, my colleagues and stuff when they come through and they're that age, they've come up with some way and, I don't, you know, I use this example a lot. I don't know if she knows I use it or not, but I always think Jenny Brannigan showing up on the East Coast and how she already had figured out how to get endorsements and sponsors to get her here, you know, and she's so great at that. And I just think that, you know, you've got to be a bit of an entrepreneur for starters. You, you know, you got to know how to hustle and you got to think because, you know, you've got to get through the hard times to get to the good times. And you just got to have, you know, a little bit of creativity on what and how you're going to do that. And um, oh, I've got a good one for you because this was a good story. When I was now working for Philip after um, my corporate, you know, disaster crash or whatever, and um, back literally as a working student, cleaning stalls, you know, and, you know, working and riding horses in exchange for room and board and one horse. And I mean, I had bills. I, I wasn't 18. I had student loans and everything. And I remember being in his barn and one of his clients' um, husband, who worked on Wall Street, had come down for the weekend. And while I was cleaning stalls, we were chatting and I was 
being a little facetious. And I basically said to him, I said, yes, here I am, you know, with Cornell education and I'm shoveling shit. And he goes, you know what, Laura, we all shovel shit. It's just a different office. And I, that moment gave me confidence to, I mean, pardon my French, but pick the shit you're going to shovel and go with it, you know? And it gave me a lot of confidence because it's so true, you know, like they all, everybody comes and thinks, oh, well, you know, horses are such hard work. What job do you think you're going to have that you're going to be successful at that's not going to be hard work? And that's what I tell everyone when they come here and start acting like this work is hard. It's like, I mean, I'm sure you guys, you know, anybody that is going to be successful in any career is going to be up before dawn. They're going to be working on the weekends. They're going to be the first one there in the morning and the last one at the end of the day, if they're going to get ahead. So I, I respect anybody that wants to work hard and I will help anybody that wants to work hard. But I have a pretty strong philosophy in my barn. Two things. One, it's not my responsibility to create a job that works for you. You know, my responsibility is to run my business and take care of my responsibilities to the owners of the horses and the horses. And um, it's my job to make sure that that's done well. And I think, you know, like there gets to be a lot of controversy over, you know, working students and, you know, I mean, fair is fair and you have to, you know, treat people well and be respective of the hours. And not everybody is going to work in your business with the same tenacity that you do. Um, But I don't think that I can work harder for your dream than you, you know, that if you want a dream and, and that's, the other thing, a lot of, you know, to me, there's kind of what, you know, with getting too long winded about it, but there's people that come to work for you that just come because they want a job and they need the money. And those are the guys that are working there at the barn and they, they're doing, you know, taking good care of your horses or working on the farm or whatever. And they're working because it's a job and they need to get paid. They need to get paid regularly. They need their hours. They need their time. Then there's people that are going to come because they want to see if it's going to work, if they want to maybe work with horses. And maybe these are some of your working students that want to come and work a bit and learn while they're there. And so that gets into a little bit of both, you know, like they've got to be able to work off enough that whatever is trade or then get paid. But then there's the people that come work for you and say, well, I want to go to the Olympics or something. And once you put yourself in that category, I have no mercy on you because if that's your dreams, then, you know, this is going to be in mercy. There is no such thing as too hard work on that one. So, but you see what I'm saying? Like, you know, you, you've all been in barns and you hear people come in with different, you know, things and ideas and where they want to go. And I'm pretty, um, I don't know what's the word, but strict on if you come here with those kind of dreams, well, you better be willing. They're, they're your dreams. You have to be able to really lay it down to try to make that happen. Right. So that's what I, I think if I was giving advice to people coming in saying it, what are your real dreams? What are your goals? And if they were clear with that, then that probably would help a lot. You know, even when they're going into a job situation, what's the right fit or job for for them, you know, with that. Yeah. I don't know. That's a lot of advice kind of crammed in there, but that's what I think. No, it's, gr- it's great yeah, advice. Good, makes good advice. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah, very good. 
Um, and Laura, you know, we like to give everyone a platform to kind of shout out their sponsors and supporters. Um, do you have anyone in particular that's been supporting you over the years that you'd like to give a shout out here? There's a lot of people and I mean, what they're doing and helping me, you know, coming back out of the woodwork and stuff. I mean, my family, obviously, um, you know, and, you know, my parents have both since passed away. Um, but they, um, my, you know, mother was unbelievable what she she you know they didn't have a lot to support financially but my mother certainly was you can do whatever you want to do and my sister and her husband and her family still support me quite a bit and I have to give a shout out I don't know if she would ever listen to this but a lot of people actually would know her but Kathleen Overbaugh has been an amazing owner for me from all the way back in the early 90s she is, you know, I, I always had this one image in my mind at Richland Park one year when there was this huge storm blowing in. And I think I was the last horse to finish dressage before they shut it down. And they probably should have shut it down earlier because, I mean, I think the judges got up in the middle of my test and ran for cover. Oh, no. <laughs> I, they're like, you know, go back to your stalls and the, you know, the, arenas are blowing down and I turn around and look back and there's Kathleen standing there with her rain gear on and everything still supporting. And she just owned, I mean, she has kept me at advanced level um, for all the years. And amazingly, because, you know, I'm not on teams, I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not, you know, trying to, you know, get that kind of experience um, from someone. And so she has just done it for the pure, pure, you know, unrecognized joy of what she's doing, um, you know, with that. So I definitely, I mean, you know, I mean, I've got other, you know, great sponsors. I mean, I've been riding with Antares for like 13 years, Pro Elite, Feeds, um, Free Jump. Um, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, really good, solid people that just keep sticking and sticking and sticking with me year after year. And um, I love you know, I stick with them because I, I, you know, just the quality and, you know, that's why I use the stuff because I love it and it's easy to, you know, talk about it or to promote it and everything. But I wouldn't, I would not have a sponsorship with someone that I didn't just absolutely love their product, you know, with that, because that's what's important. But I would think those, you know, people mainly, I mean, there's so many people that have come in and out of, your your life at different times and you know and and support and stuff like that too and um i think that that is really important to remember you know not everybody's with you forever but doesn't mean that they weren't a big part of what you were doing at the time right it's awesome love the supporters love hearing the shout outs to yeah. all the the great people behind everyone uh so laura as we wind things down how do our listeners follow along do you have you know, your social media, um, any websites or anything like that? Um, we are working on a new website, but I definitely, Laura Van, I make it simple, Laura Vanderbilt Equestrian. <laughs> so you can find me. Um, I have Instagram. Um, you know, like I, so I, I actually pride myself to some degree in how I keep embracing social media because I am not from, growing up in the area of social media. Um, and, you know, like you get one 
platform, you know, you feel like you finally got one platform worked out again, you know, and then there's another and there's another. So I actually do even have a TikTok oh. that I've been playing around with. There you go. <laughs> I definitely have Instagram and Facebook. You can find me, Laura Van Bleed Equestrian. And then I have my personal pages if you want to follow along with the dogs a bit more. But it's easy to um, find both and they kind of mesh back and forth um, quite a bit. So it's, and it, I think there's a lot of fun stuff to follow on them. And like I said, um, there's a lot of crossover between the dressage and the eventing. And that's one of the things that I think that we're going to embrace a lot in the um, experience syndicate going forward is, um, you know, uh, the epiphanies, the dressage epiphanies of an ex-eventer <laughs> as I'm learning and going forward into FBI levels of dressage. Um, I think that that's a lot of, of fun, um, you know, again, the crossover with all of that. So definitely. Um, I think I'm easy to find on there and, and fun to follow. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, what do you think? Yeah, this was great. Yeah. This, this was a great, uh, love talking to you and definitely cannot wait to see the experience syndicate come out and learn more about that. Thank you so much for, for finding me and inviting me to be here. I was like, Oh, maybe I'm finally in the major league. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and never miss an episode of the Major League Eventing Podcast.